A group of us here just finished uh, studying Tanya, 53 chapters of Tanya, volume one. And a lot of Tanya deals with meditation. Chapters 41 through 50, in fact, are all about various forms of love and awe of Hashem that one can cultivate through various different meditations. And the way that we were studying it is basically we learned about the meditations, but as far as actually experiencing them, we said you're on your own. Like that's homework, optional homework, which, let me ask you a question. Do you think anybody did it? No, because it's optional homework, of course. All right, so now what we're gonna do, we're gonna do it in class. We're gonna do it in class and that way it'll actually happen, okay. But the, the, the premise is that Tanya gives us a lot of meditations and uh, we're gonna, we're going to do one of them today. We're going to do one of them today. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, but before we do that, let me just explain what I mean by Tanya gives us various meditations. Because a lot of people misunderstand the, the concept of meditation. I think primarily because of the popularity of certain forms of meditation <laughs> that are actually very, very, very different than the type of meditation that Tanya employs and and that is uh, many people are familiar with forms of meditation that actually have their roots in uh, Eastern mysticism and there's a lot of this uh, emptying the mind trying to banish discursive thought and um, it's often thought of as as a sort of a relaxation technique Um, that's not at all what we're doing and that's not what we mean when we say meditation. Not at all. That's surprising to you? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I said it. I, I, I didn't know it was that uh, surprising. Okay. I'm glad I said it then. Okay, so then what is it? Well, form of connection. Tefillah, davening is actually connection. Um, this is in order to connect, but it's not the connection. What is it? So what is it? What is this interesting thing? So the word meditation is obviously an English word. So let me just tell you the original word. The word here is hisbaidanus. He's not hisbaidanus. Hisbaidanus. Well, you're going to hear about it now. Okay, lihitbanen, right? Is that that's uh, the the verb? Hitbanenut is the noun. Or I pronounce it his bainanos. But the root of the word is from bina. Now, my Tanya pros all know about chachma bina das, right? Okay. So, just a little review for my Tanya pros here and a little introduction, an inadequate introduction for people who are new. There are three sectors of the mind, three modes of cognition, Chochma, Bina, and Das, the acronym being Chabad. That's what the movement is named for. Chochma is often compared to a father, and Bina is compared to a mother. Chochma is the initial flash of a thought, of an idea, a a germ of an idea, a kernel of an idea. 
that is elusive by itself because it's so abstract. And then it is deposited within Bina, the mother, which is sort of the womb of thought, so to speak, where it is developed, just like the seed is developed into a child. The abstract notion of an idea gets built out until it becomes developed. And that's also, etymologically, the relationship to the word boine, which means to build. So bina, which is a type of thinking, and boine, building, or binyan is a building, they're all related. It's the area that you go to in your mind, and I mean primarily functionally, not spatially, although it is interesting that these functions do have their particular places in the brain as well. Um, no. 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 Chokma bina das. None of these are thought, speech, and action. These are different functionalities of the mind. And as I was saying as an aside, perhaps it was distracting, but I, when I say it is a place that you go to, I don't mean a physical place. However, yes, actually, these different functionalities can be mapped out, uh, I guess you would call it neurologically, as being located in different sectors of the brain. But that's an aside, and if that's confusing to you, forget I said it. The point is, Bina is a particular mode of cognition where small ideas are turned into big ones, where abstract ideas are given more detail. I said that Chochmah and Bina are often compared to father and mother. Another metaphorical comparison is that of sight and sound, or seeing and hearing. When you see something, you see it all at once. How long does it take to see the Mona Lisa? Well, you could say, I could stand and look at it all day. Yeah, but actually, if you just look at it for half a second, you've seen it. Now, how long does it take to listen to Beethoven's Fifth? I don't know, somebody Google it or tell me how long does it take. Anyone know? Not a second. It's not a second, I'll tell you that. Long enough to fall asleep, I'll tell you that. No, no, no. I'm done. That's a terrible thing to say. Okay. So but, Bina is the hearing? So Bina is like hearing. Why? Because... 30 to 40 minutes. 30 to 40 minutes. What is that? Depending on if uh, the conductor has what How to do afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Beethoven's Fifth takes 30 to 40 minutes. And you can't tell them... Well, can you just give me the gist? <laughs> just give me, no, that's how long it takes. That's why, by the way, if somebody sends you a voice note, you better actually be real friends. Because you send me a text, I can glance at it. Send me a voice note, it's a commitment. You put on double speed. Double speed, you're still locked into a certain duration. Okay, that's the difference between Chochmah and Bina. Chochmah is that initial flash of an idea, and it just takes an instant. But in that instant, you're not really getting the details. You're just getting the, the gist. 
Bina is the unpacking. So it takes however long it takes. It's a process. You following what I'm saying? So there's a difference between an, an intuition and a intellectual analysis. The, intu the intuition is just this instantaneous occurrence, appearance. But the intellectual um, analysis is a process and it has a duration. And in fact, the longer the duration, the more fruitful it'll be. Um, now, when we use the metaphor of gestation, obviously the, uh, the goal of the pregnancy is birth. So if we say that Chochmah is this abstract kernel of an idea that gets developed in Bina with all of its facets and details being revealed, what is the birth of that pregnancy? What is the baby? Well, that's a, it's not a bad guess. It's not a bad guess. Well, action is the ultimate final application, but you're skipping a step. Well, the emotion, the emotion. So, and we learned this, my Tanya pros, you remember in chapter three, we learned that the middays, <coughs> the emotions are called toildes chabad, they're called the children of intellect. Remember that? Okay. So the baby that's being born here is emotion. And generally speaking, there are two kinds of emotion. Obviously there are subgradations, but generally there are two forms of emotion. Avanyira, which is say in English, love and fear, love and, fear, love love and, and awe. Yeah, and and they're basically the two directions, outward and inward. So love is going toward the beloved, awe is sort of that respectful shrinking away. Okay, so the gas and the brakes, forward and self-containment. And then there's subgradations of those emotions, like the people who were with me for the 41 through 50 of Tanya all know that there are levels and stripes and different forms of love and awe. Okay. Yeah, there's all the different levels, all the different, okay. You want to rattle them off just for fun? No, okay, all right. There's lots of different levels. So basically we're taking a concept and we're developing it in our mind. In that respect, this is very, very different, I would say even the opposite from what most people think of in terms of meditation, which I mentioned earlier, they think of in, 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 in a way that is Look, I'm not an expert in it. It's not like I ever studied it, but uh, you know, through cultural osmosis, I pick up the certain things. It, it seems like their goal is sort of to to achieve mental silence. And in 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 his bainanos, 
we're not achieving mental silence at all. It's an actually, it's a very vibrant conversation that's occurring. It's just happening in your head and you're talking to yourself. So we're not trying to silence our thought at all. To the contrary, uh, it's a very robust conversation, internal conversation, where you are specifically <clears throat> employing language. You're not trying to get rid of the words. You're using the words. Uh, although I use the term words liberally, it doesn't necessarily have to be language in the, the sense of um, whatever spoken language you use to, uh, to think. It can be symbolic language. It can be uh, images. It can be um, the language of metaphor or movement? Uh, movement. That's a very good question. Movement generally is not regarded in this context as one of the languages, but as the way to help internalize the process, that it shouldn't remain completely cerebral. So if there's some physical aspect to it, if there is some movement, this is more so regarding prayer, but we say it regarding uh, Torah study, certainly, and, and we, we might say the same thing about meditation, that when there's physical movement involved, then the whole process affects us more deeply because it's not just happening between our ears, it's also affecting the rest of our, our body. But the, the language that I'm referring to is basically in your own mind, taking an idea and trying to flesh it out, trying to develop it as thoroughly as possible. Okay. A directing of thought, yeah, it's, a f it's focused on an idea. You're starting with an idea. You're starting with a concept. You are trying to stay on that subject. I suppose I should mention that the occupational hazard of Bina is getting off topic. Why would that make sense, by the way? Because it's unpacking, and when you know when you start unpacking, you find interesting stuff, right? You ever start Pesach cleaning before you? Oh wow, I haven't seen that in three years. Really, I still have that. Hold on a second, right? So, and I'm going to say something um, that I hope is not sexist, but it does say the Gemara says that Bina Yisera Nitno Lo Isha Yasemino Ish. A woman was given greater bina. And sometimes people translate that as women's intuition, which is an expression in English. But as I mentioned earlier, bina is feminine. Bina itself is characterized as feminine. It's the womb of thought. Um, and it only stands to reason that actual women would also have more of this bina. And where can I attest to that being true? If you teach a class with all men and you try to get them to start flowing, to start riffing off of an idea, it's very difficult. They're, they'll just, you know, 
they'll, they'll sit back and let you talk if you're the teacher. With women, you put an idea out there and you say, bounce off of that. And well, see, not in this class because you, you guys are used to me like suppressing all that stuff so we can <laughs> stay on topic. But in, it, with women, that, that stream of consciousness is much more uh, accessible. So you, you can go from one idea to another idea, to another idea, to another idea, sort of like building a web or a network of ideas. Um, that is actually a great example of what Bina does. That's precisely what Bina does. But then the occupational hazard is that it's, that it's going to get off topic because it's so good at building those associations, eventually you can end up off topic. Um, the Sefer Yetzira, which is one of the primary Kabbalistic texts, says, Maven bechachma vechakim bevina. Maven bechachma means when you have chachma, you should apply the process of bina to it, which basically means that if you have this flash of an intuition, don't let it disappear. It will disappear if you don't start unpacking it meaning apply the Bina to the Chachma before you lose the flash of inspiration. But then conversely, Chakim Bevina, that when you're in a mode of Bina, you have to apply Chachma, meaning to say that if you're free associating and you don't remember the original point, you're going to end up completely off topic. So the Chachma needs the Bina in order to uh, flesh it out, and develop it, the Bina needs the Chachma in order to keep it on topic. So yes, directed thought, yes, okay. Directed thought, but with the knowledge that we're sort of playing around here, we're teetering in a, in a, on the edge of like letting things go off topic. So you gotta be like just a little bit loose enough to allow the free association, but not so loose that you forget the original point, yeah. Yeah, Isn't yeah. Being a little bit of an oxymoron because Bain everything's an oxymoron, but yeah. Bain would lead you to believe it's more for a male as opposed to a female. Oh, that it's a Ben, they're like a son. Yeah, but the hay makes it. Uh, but the hay makes it feminine. Okay, so we solved it. Yeah. Like a fox. Right. Yeah. It should be. Uh, it should be a daughter. Um, you know, in the four letters of Hashem's name, of the ineffable name, Yud and He and Vav and He. So Yud is Chachma. Why? Because it's a tiny dot. The letter Yud is a tiny dot. And Chachma is a tiny dot. It's hyper-condensed. Um, it's, it's, it's a concept that's so abstract that you don't have any way of communicating it. That's why we said also it's compared to vision. It's like, I'd have to show you. I just have to show you. Just, you have to look at it. I can't, I can't explain it. I can't unpack it. But Bina is hay. So you have the Yud and then the hay and then the Vav and then the hay. So Bina is hay. Hay is a wide letter. It has breadth. Um, like Yud is a, is, a, is a dot. Like truly it's, it's a dot in the, in, the, in the sense of having no dimension or no dimensionality to it. Then, but then hay is an expansive letter because hay is the is the bina where it unpacks and develops 
And that's why it's, that's why it's likened to speech, because speech takes as long as it takes. Like we said, you can see something in an instant, but speech is a, is a process of unpacking. And then the Vav is six, because every Hebrew letter has a uh, numerical value, and six are the six emotions. So the Vav means the six emotions that are born from the Bina process. And then you have He again, which is, now you get to say it, now action, yeah, exactly, or expression, because it might be expressed uh, verbally as well, but... Uh, Hmm. Speech, action, yeah. But the point is it's outer expression. Okay. Outer expression, yeah. Um, so you have a higher hey and a lower hey. Hey Eloh and hey Tato. Bina and Malchus. And they're both feminine. One's called the mother, one's called the daughter. Bina's called the mother. She's literally called Ime Eloh. She's called the supernal mother. Chochmah's called Abba. It's called the father. So we're creating emotions. That's what we're doing. We're creating emotions called being moilid midais. And for my Tanya experts here, when I say we're creating emotions, creating emotions as opposed to what? Well, I'm saying, you know, I could... Well, let me ask you a more a, a simple question, fundamental question. I don't know if it's more simple, more fundamental. Um, where do emotions come from? So, thoughts create the emotions, sure. In Tanya, did we ever speak about emotions that are not the product of Cognition? Yeah, we did. Where? What? Well, actually, no. The animal soul also yeah, meditates. The, 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 the animal soul also, its emotions come from its, its, uh, its intellect. It's just its intellect is pointed toward uh, self-gratification. What I'm referring to is, do you remember when we spoke about Ava Mesoteris, about the latent love? What chapter? 18. There are certain emotions, there are certain emotions that we have that we don't create, we reveal. It's already there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of the hardwiring. We say it's an inheritance. Actually, we call it a Yerusha. We inherited it from the Aves. Yeah, well, it, 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 you're saying it's just one emotion. It's interesting because the Altadema makes a point there that it has an aspect of all within it as well because being that we love Hashem, we fear anything that would separate us from Him. So it has both love and awe in it. But at any rate, my point is that that's not something that you meditate yourself into. That's something that's already there and we're just pushing a button to trigger it. That's, that's in contrast with what we're discussing today, which is new emotions. Not revealing emotions that were latent, but creating new emotions that we didn't have yet. 
So when we talk about meditation and the purpose and the goal of meditation, it is to create new emotions that we didn't have yet. Mm -hmm. You don't have to meditate on accessing the latent love because it's already it already exists. Yeah, so we said how to how to trigger it. We explained how to trigger it, but I don't want to get off point and talk about that. I was just saying it by way of contrast. Yeah. If we're creating new emotions, how can we unpack something that's not there? The emotions are new, not the ideas. So we're starting with an idea. We're unpacking the idea, and at the end of unpacking the idea, we end up with a new feeling. Okay? All right. So here's the thing. I don't have to tell you how to do things that are natural. If I tell you to eat a sandwich and metabolize the sandwich and make sure that you get the energy from the sandwich, it's really it's a waste of time because your body knows how to do that. Right? Okay. So I don't have to tell you how to make this happen. It is a process that happens naturally. I don't have to tell you that you should turn the meditation into emotion. That's what's going to happen. It's just going to happen. You can't stop it from happening. The best proof of that is, you know, you talk about the animal soul. You mentioned the animal soul, and I said, yeah, the animal soul gets its emotions from its intellect as well. Sure it does. The animal soul meditates all the time. Whenever you're worrying, that's the animal soul's meditation. And you're focusing on something, and it starts as an abstract notion, and then the bina kicks in, and you start giving yourself all types of catastrophic examples and illustrations and pictures and images and just to really, really expand that idea. And then before you even know what's happening, you're beset by this, these really intense, visceral, emotional reactions. Now, you didn't have to purposely make that happen. That's just what happens. When you go into Bina, once there's a pregnancy, you know, it's an inevitability there's going to be a birth. Once you go into that sector of cognition, there's going to be an emotional outcome. So the only thing that we're doing here purposefully is we're choosing now what to meditate on. That's where our, our choice here is, uh, is relevant. We're choosing what to meditate on. But it, it, it's like when you plant the seed in the ground, you don't have to even understand the process by which the seed becomes a tree. You don't have to want it to become a tree. The only role you have is in choosing what kind of seeds you want to plant. So that's what we're doing here. We're choosing which seeds we would like to plant, and we're going to just nurture those seeds by going into the Bina sector of, of the mind. And if we do it long enough, 
it will create emotions. Okay? Make sense? Okay. So, I wanted to start with chapter 41. That's the first chapter of the chapters that talk about love and awe. And there's a meditation right in the beginning of, of chapter 41. And um, it also happens to be one of the 12 psukim. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe had the Lubavitcher Rebbe had 12 psukim, 12 Torah passages that um, children should learn. And one of them is from chapter 41 of Tanya. So I'm going to just pull up the, the text. This is not study. I want to also qualify that we're not studying right now. We, for those who were in the class, we, we did that already. We studied it, okay? Um, we're not studying now. Now, unfortunately, if you didn't study this, it's going to be harder to think about it because you don't know what it is. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to fill it in a little bit, okay? So I'm just going to read from some words here from chapter 41. So he says, A person should be misbeinen, he should meditate. Gdula saints of Baruchum al on the greatness of Hashem and his kingship. All right, now let's do it. Let's be misbeinen. I'm going to say some words. This is not like normally in class when we're reading and explaining and then we're moving on. I'm going to go slowly and I'm going to give you time to unpack the words. I hope that what I'm going to do will facilitate and not interfere, but what I might do is give you some suggestions at how to unpack the words. I really hope that's not going to be annoying. I hope that's going to be helpful. But I don't want you to just listen to me. I want you to be sort of guided by me, and then you can also come up with your own um, way of unpacking. And if there's a particular metaphor, let's say, that you come up with, or a visualization, or a personal experience, or a story that all of a sudden you think of, that's fair game. This is all about associations, connective thought. So if you say, oh yeah, you know what really brings out that point? This story. So then let that be the direction that you go in and explore that. Explore that, because that's all part of the unpacking. Okay. So I, I hope this is going to work. I think it's going to be a very boring video for people watching online. But and no, no, watching online, nobody can see. Everybody's sitting on the floor right now on yoga mats. <laughs> I'm joking. We're just sitting at a table. It's a normal, like, normal Monday. Nothing weird going on. Okay. And that, by the way, that's the whole thing about his bainanos. It's, it's not relaxation. It's not like light some incense and uh, put on your uh, white noise machine and go zone out. I don't know what his bite of this is. It's not, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Okay. It's an, oh, I like that. 
I liked it. Yes. You hear that? Internal yeah. Fabrengen. Internal Fabrengen. Yeah. It's brilliant. That's yeah, it's brilliant. Right? Yeah, that's what I it love is. That one. Thank yeah. you. Internal Fabrengen. Oh. Wait, hold on oh, a second. That's right, you were there last that week. was your first Fabrengen? Uh, yeah. And you had that insight Fabrengen. after one Fabrengen? I've had wow. internal Fabrengens already, so it just felt natural. <laughs> that's, now we need to have more. Okay, yeah, yeah, Mirza Hashem. We will, we will. Yeah, yeah. That's Okay. All right. So, all right. So let's 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 do this for a few minutes here. Okay. Here's what we're meditating on. Greatness of God in his kingship. So now we're just thinking about the fact that Hashem's kingship. Try to think of it however you think. Some people are more visual thinkers, and some people are more auditory thinkers. Some people think in, in terms of words, like they're reading a book. Just think the way that is most conducive to, to your understanding. The Hashem's kingship is a kingship of all worlds, higher and lower. Higher worlds, spiritual worlds, worlds of spiritual beings which are surrendered to him, which have barely a sense of separate selfhood, which are in a state of subservience to him, which are basically egoless. Those are the spiritual realms which we call Elimus El the higher worlds. Hashem is king of those worlds. Just try to think about it. Let the idea seep in. The extent of Hashem's kingship. The diversity, the, the extent of it, the reach of it. And he's the king of uh, the lower realms, the physical world. Think about the vastness of just this physical plane. Think about all the different places. Think about all the different, not just the different countries and cultures, but even in one little town from one block to the other, there's so much going on and uh, Hashem is king of it all. Hashem is the administrator is the one who's governing all of these worlds, all of these planes of reality. Okay, so we're, we're letting this idea seep in of the vastness of Hashem's rulership, the complexity of it all, the, the diversity of it all, the, 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 the massive size of his, of his kingship, of his kingdom. And I'm not telling you yet any emotion. Actually, I'm not going to tell you at all any emotion. But I hope this is not going to ruin the process. But if you were to start feeling an emotion, you know, there might be a feeling of awe, a little bit of awe here, a little smidgen of awe, just contemplating how vast his kingship and his kingdom are. Okay. And he fills all worlds. What does it mean he fills all worlds? He is pervasively present in all of the aforementioned worlds. So all of these worlds that have all of these different beings and entities and goings-on, all these complex worlds, Hashem is present within every single detail of those worlds. Whether you're talking about a blade of grass here on the physical plane, or you're talking about some spiritual entity in one of the spiritual worlds, but Hashem is in, He is in 
all of that. He, he pervades it all. There's nothing that is devoid of his presence. So he's filling, mamale, he's filling all of these aforementioned worlds. I'm going to give you time to let that seep in. Visevev kolalman. And he surrounds all worlds. So at the same time that Hashem is present within everything, at the same time, he cannot be contained. His infinity cannot be contained. So at the same time that he pervades everything, he also encompasses it. Not in the spatial sense, although certainly you may use that metaphor, the metaphor of spatial surrounding as a way of connecting to this idea. But what we mean is that although he is present within every detail of his creation, at the same time, he is so much more than that. And he flows past that. And he cannot be described merely by the totality of the reality which he, which he pervades. Because he's beyond that as well, the very same time. And they're both simultaneously true. Obviously the concept of Seyv of Kol Alman, how Hashem is beyond all of creation, is more abstract than Mamali Kol Alman, the way that he's present within creation. And so the more abstract the idea is, um, often the more awe-inspiring it is. Just the very, the very fact that there's an idea that is hard to grasp or even fundamentally impossible to fully grasp does create an emotion of awe. Okay. Ukamesha Kosov, and like it says, do I not fill both the heavens and the earth? Okay. So now we have this picture of Hashem with this extensive and vast creation of many, many layers and planes of reality. He pervades it all and is, impre- and is present within it all. And simultaneously, he cannot be contained by any of it, and he completely transcends all of it. He sets aside the higher worlds and lower world. He sets it aside. What does it mean he sets it aside? Obviously, he doesn't ignore it. He's still running the world, worlds. Meaning, in terms of interest, it is not his primary interest. I know this is difficult to think about Hashem's perspective, but try to consider this idea that even as he fills all worlds and surrounds all worlds, he sets them aside. In other words, he does not primarily focus or take primary interest in them. And he focuses his kingship, meaning he primarily takes interest 
in his people, Yisrael, va'alav bifrat, and upon you, dear reader, he's speaking, the Al-Tareb is speaking to you, he says it in the third person, all of it means on him, but he means you, he means the reader, in specific. So, wow, follow that, that jarring juxtaposition. <coughs> we just described the vastness of Hashem's kingship, the vastness of it all, and how he, 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 he pervades it all and he surrounds it all. And then at the very same time, but that's not his primary concern. He focuses on his people and even more specifically on you. Now he's not telling you how to feel about that, but let that sink in and tell me that that doesn't evoke some type of emotional response. Let it sink in. Take a minute here. Because a person is obligated to say, The world was created for my sake. So don't try to shirk your responsibility. Don't try to make yourself unimportant. Don't try to pretend that you're not Hashem's primary focus. You are. You are. Okay, so now it's starting to feel imminent. Hashem's focus is on us. His primary interest is on us. And let me say it more accurately, on me. And when I say on me, I'm not being selfish in saying Shays Taub, me. I mean each one of you, each one of us is supposed to say that. So you say it on, on me, but you say it for yourself. But Hashem is focused on me. Hashem is focused on me. He has, he has all that going on. And he's focused on me. Now some of you are saying it's starting to make me nervous. I'm feeling emotions all right. I'm feeling anxiety. It's okay. All right. I'm not going to judge your feelings. If those are the feelings you're getting, it's okay. Just experience it. It's okay. You can experience it. Just be curious about it. Just observe it. We're not trying to force an emotional outcome. We're just trying to be true to the intellectual material and unpack it properly. And the emotions will come. Okay. Now we're going to get in our meditation. So far we've been imagining the worlds and we've been thinking about how Hashem relates to the worlds and how He relates to us. Now we're going to imagine ourselves. You ever see yourself in your dream? Now you receive Hashem's kingship. So see yourself in this meditation, receiving Hashem's kingship. Hashem is focusing His kingship. His kingship, which is over all of the universes, He's focusing it on you. And now, for your part, you are reacting. You're receiving that kingship. You are acknowledging that personal relationship, that attention, that focus. Lies melech And you're allowing Him to be a melech, a king over you. And to serve him and to do his will in the subservient manner of a servant who has surrendered to the will. 
So you're seeing yourself reciprocating or responding to this relationship. Okay, here's the famous line. Vihine Hashem nitzavolov, and behold, Hashem is standing over him. This is actually a verse from the Torah. It's describing Yankiv Avinu. It's describing Jacob, our father. Hashem is standing over you. Not like looming ominously over you. But Hashem is standing over you. Hashem is right here. And He's right here because you are here. Hashem's interested in you. And at the same time, the entire world is full of His glory. Here's the juxtaposition again. The whole world is full of His glory. And yet He's gazing at you. So again, that, that contrast. The whole world is full of His glory. He's got plenty of places to go. He's, he's looking at you. He's interested in you. And he is searching your innards. He uses the term your kidneys and heart, but it means your, uh, your emotions. Not just looking at you externally, at your behaviors. He's searching your heart. He's searching your emotions and evaluating. Have you aligned yourself completely with him? He's looking. He's inspecting. And therefore, here he gives us the takeaway, one should serve Hashem with Ema and Yira, with awe and trepidation, like one standing in front of the king. Not somebody who knows that somewhere in the palace there's a king, but someone who's standing right now in front of the king. Or more aptly, the king is standing in front of you. So this is a feeling of awe. Awe is a feeling of losing yourself. Awe is a feeling of your separate selfhood, your ego, becomes overwhelmed in the vastness and in the infinity. It's the opposite of self-consciousness. It's becoming so aware of God-consciousness that the sense of self shrinks and becomes uh, less than an afterthought. Anyways, if you were to allow yourself to focus on these ideas at leisure for as long as it would take you, the longer you would stay with these ideas, the more intense the emotional outcome would be. I hope that some of you experience some flicker of emotion. But uh, the main thing is to understand that everything is relative to the amount of work and the amount of time that you put into it. So you could really sit with this meditation for hours.
and uh, get to higher and higher heights of intense emotion, strong emotion for Hashem. And in this case, the emotion from this meditation is one of a very particular type of awe. We have meditations for love, we have meditations for other types of awe, but this is an awe meditation. Okay, I hope you guys got something out of it.